mean, man, but how's he sending you today? What does your ministry or your road look like? This was a man, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And John had a message to bear. And I don't know if at times you put John in a different category, but... And there's no question he was the last prophet of the Old Testament, that he was the last one to speak before the new covenant of Jesus Christ would go into order and that Jesus said some great things about John. But can I say something to you? There's some people I know in this church that God is going to say some great things about in eternity. There's some of you God's going to say some great things about. Wow, everyone's sitting on that. And maybe do you think about yourself as like, man, does God have anything good to say about me? Do you know that you're sent by God? Why is it that the voice that accuses us at times is greater than the voice that convinces us of who we are in God? Why is it that we would allow this thing of condemnation and other voices and and doubt and fears to become greater at times or at least more believable than the voice God wants to say to you, the one that would move you to be sent? I mean, if you look at John the Baptist, he was definitely sent. I mean, this guy spent... He didn't take on a church. He took on a nation. I mean, took on a nation... I mean, God sent him at a time right before Jesus. And what if right now we are ministering right before the second coming of Christ? I don't think that looks too far-fetched. What have I said to you that in the months ahead there is great crisis for our country and they will, you'll have a hard time fitting people in churches across the country because they need a refuge. And so the reason God's speaking to us in days beforehand and crisis teams and otherwise and food pantries and these that meet the needs is because there's something that God wants to do in the midst of crisis that shows them the rock of the ages doesn't move. That's what we just worship to. The rock doesn't move. God doesn't, God doesn't bite his nails three miles south of Mars wondering whether or not this is going to work out. But John was a man sent by God. Are you sent by God? Do you see yourself as sent by God? Do you know that in the womb God had a plan for you to minister his glory and express his glory in the faith of Jesus Christ? Are you exhibiting that? Are you lukewarm? Are you hot on it? I mean, what ha- let's take a, a look here. Let's go to the book of Luke for a minute, chapter 2. And let's just read a little bit about John. And then we'll back up. And You can see there's no question he's sent by God, that he's a man. Let's look at Luke chapter 3 and begin reading in verse 1. There's a lot of cities that won't sound like the city you live in. Does anybody want to uh, read these cities? Okay. Amen. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of uh, Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip the tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Traconius, uh, Lysanias, the tetrarch. How do you like those towns? By the way, huh? Yeah, amen, that's pretty good. Does anybody want to try the, amen, I can get Abilene at the end, verse 2. Okay, let's get on here. Anna and Caiaphas were the high priest, and look at this. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, this man is sent by God to deliver a message, not to just a church, although he did take on the church leaders of the day. He's sent to a nation who's about to receive Jesus Christ. 
But it says here that this word came to him in the wilderness. Why is that important? Because what message does John be, what would he be able to give to a people in a wilderness unless he had been delivered or given a message while he was in it? I mean, after all, I'm not here preaching today because I went to school somewhere. Preachers don't have passion because they're intellectual. They have passion because they know they're nothing and God makes something out of nothing. Amen. He lifts the beggar from the dunghill. He looks to weakness and to display strength. It's just like the apple tree. You don't see an apple tree with apples hanging off the main strong root of the tree. Any apple tree you see will have blossoms out on the weakest point of the branch. That's why he said, I am the vine. And you are the branches. And you better abide in me or there can be no fruit in you. But God still displays in weakness His strength and hangs the glory of Himself and His work on weak men and women. So God's still in the business of sending somebody who needs to display the glory of God who doesn't even have the strength to do it. The first storm with a heavy apple can break the branch. So God begins to give a message in the wilderness. I know one thing for sure. I don't know about you. God delivered me out of wilderness. And the wilderness, if you study the the area of Judea, he was in a desert. It wasn't like a treed wilderness. So what was it about the wilderness that God gave him a message that can get him out of? It was a, a wilderness of voices. It was a wilderness of church had become just church. Like it or not, that's what was going on. Church had just become church. And don't blame it on the law of Moses because the Bible said the law is just and perfect and good. It wasn't the problem with the law of God. It was the problem with the begin the, the changings and the, the kingdoms built under their self. And that's why the disciples even had a hard time saying, Lord, when will the kingdom come? And he said, when will you restore this thing? You know, they thought the only thing they'd get delivered from is the Roman Empire. And today, if you talk to somebody, if you're not careful, they'll think it's just a battle between Democrat and Republican. God's bigger than that. How's that? God is bigger than the Democrats and the Republican. His kingdom is bigger than that. And he wants to deliver people from that. Deliver some of them that are up there. Get them born again. Amen. Quit being cowards and liars. Amen. Okay, there you go. They'll probably bleep that off the tape. It's a difference in serving yourself or serving others. So John was sent by God to deliver a message, but he couldn't deliver a message until he knew a message while he was in his own wilderness. The Bible said here clearly, God gave him a message in the wilderness. And if you're in wilderness and never have received the message of God, the light of the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ and been delivered from that, we really don't have a message for anybody else. But this guy shows up preaching a message of repentance This is what he says. Repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. How often do you hear messages on repentance today? I mean, this easy stuff in Christianity today, where it's it's more like a psychology uh, appointment than it is the preaching of the Word of God, and you just get every... And there's no doubt God's grace cannot be earned. His mercies, I mean, you can't expand it. It's, it's ab- absolutely His love's lavished upon the saints that come to Christ. But when I come to God, I remember the night. I knew instantly that this amazing grace had overcome all sin of my life, and I fell in love with the Savior. And this love's continually motivated me, not because of money or fame or anything other than I know this is the only way in any wilderness experience, we have any hope out. 
And so John, while he's in the wilderness, hears the Word of God preached somehow. God delivered the Word. And he was so set on point that all the days of his ministry, he kept saying, I'm not the light. I'm not the light. I bear witness to the light. Why? Because while he was in his wilderness, he found some kind of light to get him out. And I don't know about you, but boy, you get in a wilderness experience, it gets dark. And it may not be physically dark, but how many of you today could say to yourself, you don't have to raise your hand, my situation looks a little dark, preacher. If I'm being honest with you, I really don't know which way to turn here. I'm not sure what the future looks like. And boy, would you ever be more comforted than in a natural darkness of a wilderness to have a a natural light come to you and lead you out of there? What is the Word of God to us? Right. And so here comes John on the scene. He's a rough looking dude. He's wearing it. Describes what he wears. Now, Friday night, I was really going to preach on this, and I wore overalls and a caterpillar hat. I know it's not as spiritual as what some people wear. Amen. You know, because if we dress up, we're more spiritual. Nothing wrong with dressing up. The problem is when you think that's spiritual. And then you start doing your dress up rather than your bowing down. And then you exalt yourself rather than your kneeling down. And pretty soon there you have it. And then you've exalted yourself and not the hand of God. But the Bible says that if if you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, He'll exalt you in due season. And most of the apostles never exalted themselves on television or tried to build huge congregations, but gave their life's blood and their family's blood because the Savior had delivered them out of the wilderness of their own life and their own darkness and their own sin. And this has been the gospel throughout the ages. Ages. Forget it. We don't take votes. It's not a democracy. God is a theocracy. He makes the choice. You get the choice to be obedient. And obedience is always better than sacrifice to a God whose mercy stretched so far that He unclothed Christ and then sent Him into the earth to be born in a manger. And then they cut Him nakedness on a cross, bleeding to plead for our forgiveness. To plead for the transgressions of all mankind. To plead with God, saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Wow. Looks darkly different. Amen. Okay, I gotta get the front row's never safe from the spit, by the way. <laughs> Baptist preacher spitting on everything in sight. Amen. Okay. And it's not holy water. Amen. <laughs> Okay, let's keep reading, church. So God gave him in verse 2 a message in the wilderness. Verse 3, and, it ca- and he came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. As it is written in the book of Isaiah, the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Boy, this is critical. So what happens is John is obviously in a wilderness experience, whether it be natural or otherwise, you could, you could do what you want there. Nonetheless, he was in wilderness. God delivers a message, a word to John, and it brought him so on point that no matter where he went after that, he was always looking for this one message. Wherever he scanned, and he would know when he spotted it, boom, and when he didn't. He would rebuke it. Are you with me? So he was so on point that what had brought him out of wilderness, that all the rest of his life he was looking for it. And he's scanning. And when it didn't look like it, 
He simply said, it's not you. It's not this. And so what happened was it brought him out to such a degree with such boldness and strength and courage, which is what happens to the saints who are born again, is God gives strength and courage and boldness. This is what he's always done. That's what the book of Acts says. Strength and courage and boldness to go beyond their walls of their church, their building, and their... Are you with me? Are you with me? And it always moves them beyond because God's kingdom is much larger than that. So John begins to take on... Can you imagine this guy? Let's do it literally. Can you imagine it? Like they've been doing the law of Moses for 400 years. The last one to speak was Malachi. I preached on that a few weeks ago. Now you've had 400 years of dryness uh, as far as new prophets go. I'm sorry. Still spitting. I'm going to have to get back on my spot up here in the stage, okay? And what happens is this guy comes out doing church a new way, basically. He's walked down by the water saying, hey, who wants to repent of their sin? This is what's literally happened. Like, who wants to repent for the remission of your sin? And he actually had takers. He had takers. And a lot of them. He had enough takers, if you read the text in all four Gospels, that it bothered the church leaders. And they start come peeking out. Like, man, what's this guy doing? But he didn't have a nice message for them. He did not have a nice message. And so he's preaching repentance, and then they're saying, are you the one? I mean, they've heard about what Moses wrote about, that the one's coming. No, he said, I'm not the one. I come to bear witness of the light. In other words, what he was saying is, I saw a light in my own wilderness, and I can't wait till I get to see this light, because I'm going to tell you when he gets here. Are you with me? And the Bible said he come to prepare the way of Jesus Christ. But if you raised your hand and you believe the second coming of Christ is close, are you helping prepare the way of Jesus? What does your road look like? What does your ministry look like? Whether it be in the four walls or out. If somebody followed your road and mine, would it lead them to Jesus? I mean, if they followed me, would they know I'm always on point, regardless of the wobbling at times and the seasons of my life? At the end of the day, when it's all boiled in the pan, would they say, this man loves Jesus. He loves Jesus Christ. Or would they say he's just a show? He's just a show. He's just there for the money. Is that what they would say? Is there a path made straight? Because the path wasn't straight. It was all messed up in weird doctrines of the day. Man, the Pharisees not only had truth of the word of the law, but now they added a whole bunch of stuff to it. And don't laugh, Baptist. And I know some are listening by podcast. And some of you pastors listening by podcast. Don't laugh. We've done the same thing. We're putting heavy yokes of burden on people's neck. There's nothing wrong with the doctrine we've got. But the stuff we've added to it and separated from one another for, God will have to do away with. Amen. The, I, I challenged during the event. I noticed one thing people kept saying. Aaron's a Southern Baptist preacher. Aaron's a Southern Baptist pastor. And I'm proud of it. I'll stand on it. And you know what I told them? Find me a doctrine somewhere that you can find that's more solid than this one. I said more solid. There's some other solid. But get me one more solid and then bring it to the table. But most of them accusing have no doctrine at all. A doctrine won't save you. A doctrine is simply the fence around the pasture. What saves you is Jesus Christ and His blood. 
And the word of God is what sanctifies you. The Bible's clear in John 17. But you're only made whole through one name under heaven, which is Christ, Him alone. The doctrine's offense. What it does is it keeps the congregation safe. It lets you know where the sheep need to be. And I'm going to tell you, every goat at times will jump the fence and break the wire. If you're going to serve within some sound doctrine, you're going to have to have a pair of pliers on your side. Goats won't like it. They break fences. They're independent. But when the storm comes, sheep gather together. Not to a man. He is the true shepherd. He is divine. He is our Savior. He's the true shepherd. Okay, i got to get off that. Okay. So I say this before I do. I plead with my Baptist pastors that we get outside our four walls and quit building the kingdom to ourselves, even inside of an association. That we take the message and the solid doctrine that we have and we challenge the world with it. God, give us enough light to stand on in the midst of any darkness. What are you scared of? I'm not scared whether I'm around some doctrine that has no doctrine at all. Whether it be flaky, it doesn't make any difference to me. What's solid will still stand. And what's light will still begin to turn darkness backwards. Are you with me? We don't have to hide in the corner and then tell others we've got the truth. What we do is we display the truth by letting it move us with passion. What we lack is passion because we replace it with intellect. And the devil's got a counterfeit for everything. Today's counterfeit for the joy in the house of God is entertainment. And so here you won't like this either. And so we go everywhere that's got all the lights. You'll find yourself at the casino, at the ball, wherever it may be, ball games. You can replace it with anything. But the first, what must always be first is the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ that's given because of the repentance of sin that finds the Savior at the cross and the blood makes a black heart white like snow. And this is the gospel. And it's replaced by nothing else in this life. No light, no glamour, no lust. None of it. No alcohol. Forget it, it won't last. We must repent our life. So what's repentance, Brother Aaron? Repentance is kind of like a message of the gospel saying, come to Pittsburgh, and I live in Weir. I can't go to Pittsburgh and stay in Weir. Although Weir is a wonderful place. We make the news quite often. When Christ said to me, and when he said to these in this book, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. It meant that I left where? And I went to Pittsburgh. Are you with me? I left my life and I went unto Christ. And amen. I didn't have to dispute or have definitions for it. I just, I left. I couldn't be in Weird and be in Pittsburgh at the same time. And repentance was that simple. John was saying, if you'll just repent, amen. I'm not the one, but he's coming. But what I love about uh, John, I'm getting ready to close. Is that something? Amen. Don't clap on that. What I love about John is he preached that it was going to require repentance. Can I say a few things to you to study when you get home? All the great messages within the scriptures preach repentance first. You find John the Baptist first preached repentance. It was the first of his message. Jesus, when he began to preach, preached repentance. When the disciples were commanded to go, it was they preached repentance. When the first great sermon in Acts was preached, it started with repent. And when Paul the apostle preached, he started his with repent. And we will be marked with repentance first because the after and the byproduct of repentance is the fruit and the joy and the gifting and all the graces of God. And without repentance, there really is no confirmation nor salvation within the saint. It is simply an intellectual work, one of psychology. It's not one of the heart. God wants to change the heart. 
I don't want to sit and name sin all day. It would be foolish. But the Holy Spirit in one moment like this can challenge your own heart and you say to him, Lord, I know. I hear you. And today when this invitation is given, I'm going to do something at the altar. No man or woman may know here in this place, but I'm going to lay to rest the repentance. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from this, whatever it may be, and I'm going to come unto you, Lord. I'm going to do this afresh because I know that without this, there is no joy and no peace in the kingdom of God. What I love about the Holy Spirit is the moment that you begin to respond to the truth of the word of God is that he will make sure that you're made free. He will not only ask you to be free, he won't knock on your door, he won't just unlock the door, he makes you free. The Holy Spirit, when you hear truth and embrace it, has a way of making you free. Doesn't matter what your friends think, doesn't matter even what you're thinking, that's why it is the peace of God that surpasses your understanding. I don't know how much you came in here today with possibly some fear and some doubt. And the very last verse I want to look at, there was much more to cover. I didn't intend on making it short just for time's sake. I want to ask you to please read this week, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, John's account of John the Baptist. This man was brought out of wilderness, preached to a wilderness, turned a nation upside down. But I can tell you that he had one point, and that was the light, to bear witness of the light. And when that light walked over the hill that day, he said, there he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. That's the light that led me out of the wilderness. He was called the voice of one crying in the wilderness, but it wasn't his voice. He was a man sent by God with the Holy Spirit. The voice that was crying in the wilderness was a voice of Christ in one man who could display to a nation what the singleness of Jesus Christ would present. And when the Lamb of God came over, he marked him as the Lamb of God, but later began to suffer under the own faith that he had in the persecution. He told the man, it's not lawful that you sleep with another man's wife. And because of this, they imprisoned him. And you know the story, but look here. And today, if you walk in here as a saint and a child of God, I want you to be comforted by the words of Jesus as John cries out to him from prison. This is a man who knew the wilderness, who knew the light, who began to display first the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There he is. He's the first one to mark him. But look with me in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. And I'll close on this. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison, this guy's in prison, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. John did. And he said, are you the one that should come or do we look for another Jesus answered and said to them, that's the two disciples of John, go, he didn't even go himself. Go and show John again the things which you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel. The poor have the gospel preached to them. The poor and blessed is he Here's the last, the last part of the message. And blessed is he who will not be offended in me. I can show you John the Baptist with all of his wilderness word and all of his boldness to a nation displayed and called out the Lamb of God, the light of the world, baptized the very Son of God and watched the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove. It wasn't a dove, it like one. And we won't get on that. 
And the father, he witnesseth. The father said, Behold, this is my precious son. Here he is, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John witnessed this, but he's in prison over here. He gets in his affliction. And this morning I'm ministering to Riverton First Baptist and to those who hear this abroad. Are you in a wilderness today? Maybe you're saved. Maybe you've known the work of Jesus Christ. But today you're a little weary and you're like John. John's saying, hey, before they cut my head off, make sure he's the one I was looking for. I'm sure, I think I'm sure it was. It's kind of like the one that says, I believe, Lord, but please help my unbelief. And those disciples go back, and you almost, it doesn't give us an account, but they must have been, hey, John, you're good. What do you mean I'm good? Tell me what he said. No, you're good. They're going to kill you in a few days. Guess what, John? The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. There's been lepers cleansed. And the last, you're going to love this one, John. You know those poor people that the Pharisees didn't want to minister to because they couldn't help them monetarily? They're hearing the gospel now. And Jesus says to you, John, don't be offended in him. It's going to cost you your life. Don't be offended. And so I'm asking you today and wherever you're at in whatever it may look like to you, don't be offended. The poor are hearing the gospel preached. I've seen dead raise the life again. Amen. With the word of God saying that to us, would you please stand to your feet and let's worship the Lord. I want to give you an invitation this morning in response to the Word of God. Number one, if you question that you are sent by God, then I ask that you would lay it to rest. God wants to send you. Have you been functioning in that sent call? Have you been functioning in the body of Christ? In the ministry of God? I don't know, but God knows. And if not, then I ask you to come and surrender yourself to the call that you know is true. Maybe you're already ministering, but you're weary. I want to invite you in this time of invitation to come and receive the strength from saying, God, I heard your word, and I continually submit to you even in my weariness. The next one I want to speak to is in this invitation. If somebody was to follow you since John was making the path straight, in a wilderness of voices. Can we say today that there's a crooked road if you're not careful? A crooked road of voices in a country today. But can we let God set one clear path, a straight and narrow way today in our life, that if others, whether it be your friends or your family, would begin to follow a father, a friend, a neighbor, that they would know at the end of the day, this man loves Jesus Christ and pursues them. Last but not least, if today you say, I know that what repentance brought to me at one time, and maybe here you've never repented of sin, without repentance there simply is no salvation, no true kingdom work. Are you willing to leave where you're at to move toward the Lord? I remind you of the prodigal son and his father. The father saw him when he was a long ways off. 
and he began to go towards him. And what God wanted to do for that son being restored is what God wants to do for you today in this service, to restore you. And maybe you thought to yourself, God was waiting and he was upset and didn't want to. That's not what the Bible said. It said he ran. He began to run. And God wants to run. As you turn, keep in mind, repentance turns you from the prodigal son from the hog pen. Said my father's house, even his hired servants eat. And as he began to turn from that wallow and turn toward the father, the Bible says he's he seen him. God's eyes are upon the sparrow, but they're also upon you today. What do you need? Will you respond to him? I give you this invitation. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, please bring your burden to the Lord. Let him give you the help you need.